We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC's Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear, which I still love that I say because it's redundant and no one cares. Chris, it's it's one of the worst things, right? Yeah, we like, get... I'm a season ticket holder, so I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so <laughs> we get uh, the most shit for. <laughs> From Ryan Lacell, just then. That's our producer, Chris Krueger. And we're here talking about the AFC East in week two. It was a wild week of football. I don't want to waste any time. Usually we bloviate a little bit at the top. I, I will say this, Chris. If I have one thing, and I actually want to ask our first guest about this. Um, so Mark Smith, friend of the show, Rock Power Report attorney, he, he has a friend named Don who was doing some contracting work down in Warsaw, New York. And he sent him a text saying, hey, this place, I don't know where I am, but I saw a guy walking down the street holding a WWF championship belt. Now, I know every all the wrestling references that fly around this podcast. He goes, this guy's walking down Main Street of Warsaw with a WWF championship belt. And my first, and he's like, I don't know what to think about this place. And it's like, well, first of all, you have to challenge that guy. But you have to challenge him to a ladder match, right? Yeah. Is this one of those things? So then that got me thinking. Because obviously, like, my first thing was, well, I should be able to then. If you're just walking around brazenly with this thing, I should be able to rock bottom you, take the belt. It's not assault or theft because you were you were looking for challengers, and I found you. Guys who wear football jerseys in public at non-sporting events. Like, who just walked down the sidewalk wearing a sports jersey? There used to be this guy who walked around my office wearing a, Ladan- a Ladanian Tomlinson jersey in Buffalo, New York. Apropos of nothing, it'd be a Wednesday. And there was a part of me that wanted to turn into Terry Tate, office linebacker, and just smoke this guy. Just form tackle him from nowhere and then go, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I thought we were doing a thing. 
You know, you're the running back. I'm the. I, I, I'm sorry, I got confused. Is it okay to tackle people wearing football jerseys on non-sport? Like, is it lame to wear a a football jersey on non-sporting days? Yeah. Guys, here to talk to us about the Patriots tonight, Christian Simonelli, whose team lost to the Dolphins twenty four seventeen. Christian, what do you think about this concept? Do first of all, I'm are so, you I'm, are you a jersey guy? I used to be, not anymore. <laughs> Because you grew up? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So should I be well within my rights to just Terry Tate somebody who's walking around my workplace wearing a jersey? Not even of the local football team. Just a jersey. Absolutely. No question about it. (laughs) See, now what I love is you're so much more of a professional than Chris or I. You would never dare do that in your own workplace, right? (laughs) <laughs> never no we'd have a discussion outside the work environment <laughs> uh, Christian it gets to a point where I I don't know what to make of your Patriots like you guys are in all of these games right up until the final drive and where I feel like on paper if you weren't a Patriots fan you would say to yourself this looks like progress it can't feel like that, does it? Uh, no, it doesn't. <clears throat> I think, at least for me, the hope at the beginning of the season lied with Bill O'Brien and you being able to go out there and trot out an offense that was going to just methodically move the ball and in the end produce points. Now, they're moving the ball. Mac Jones is, is throwing the ball almost 100 times through two games. I think it's, he's attempted 96 passes, which is insane. But it's kind of the same story that, that it's been the past few years where it's just not – they're not generating points. They're not turning over. Uh, the, you know, they're not translating those yards into points. And uh, it's it's really frustrating, and it just gets back to the talent. Everywhere – every spot that's deficient on this roster on the offensive side of the ball, you can look at and you can look at and say, well, that's a missed draft pick. And they had to plug that guy there. That's a missed draft pick. They had to sign this guy from here. That's a missed draft pick. They had to draft this guy to replace him. It's very, very frustrating. Well, here's there are some really dubious numbers behind this. If you look at what the Patriots offense is, you've been in your first two games. Last year's offense, which everyone has derided as one of the worst things the Patriots fans have ever seen, only had 23 fewer yards of offense and 13 fewer points. Yeah. So even for all the changes, you guys really aren't that far off last year's pace. And then the turnovers are down, which is obviously a plus. Like, that's a huge plus for a team that has to kind of live and die by this ball control offense. But you're still not holding on to it well enough. You're outpacing the defense's ability to create turnovers by a 2-1 to margin. What do you think is driving this, this, just the inability to maintain possession of the ball through two games? It's the talent. It's, it's having, it's having a guy being able to make a play with the ball in his hands or being able to get separation. Every single pass, every single ball is a fight. You have nobody that can, that can, that can beat somebody straight up one on one. Everything has to be schemed. And even when you scheme it, 
when you try to trick somebody, when you try to go quick and run hurry up, or you try motion, or you go in RPO, there's always a, a defender right there on somebody. Um, whether it's a 50-50 ball, whether it's a slant, whether it's an out, there's, there's always a defender there. And there's just there's, – there's nobody that can win one-on-one. And they just don't have that guy. They don't. They had it for years when they had Gronk, way back when they had Moss, even Edelman – with Gronk, I mean, they always had at least one guy, if not two, that could beat somebody straight up. They don't have anybody right now. And the one guy that is actually probably the best athlete on the offensive side of the ball and can get open uh, basically got strip-fumbled in the game. Demario Douglas, I'm talking about the sixth-round pick. And you never saw him the rest of the game. He got and that's put in exactly the dog, what you needed the, in the game. The patented Bill Belichick doghouse. Yeah, like, and you can't do that anymore. This isn't this isn't 2011 where you have you've drafted guys and you have stars in front of them. So if the rookie screws up, you can you know put him in mothballs until next year because he's going to be the replacement and he'll learn. You need guys that can make plays now, right now. And yep. yeah, it's sad, but you need a sixth round pick in there to make plays. And and the the, the fucked up part is he's doing it. He's right. doing the thing. He's giving your offense a spark. And Bill just can't help himself. He goes, well, he's a curmudgeon, and he will not differentiate from this path he's chosen to walk. And the end result is that you took, you voluntarily in a one-score game took your most explosive offensive player off the field. Yeah, that's that's exactly what he did. It's almost, this is where I feel like, like, because I see, like I saw a tweet where they were talking about Mac Jones, and they're like, well, it was Warren Sharp. That's the worst part. It wasn't coming from some detractor. It wasn't some local pundit. It was Warren Sharp mm-hmm. tweets out a clip of every single, it's two and a half minutes long, and it's every single Mac Jones throw of more than 20 or more air yards. 11 attempts, one completion. He is dead last in every major statistical category. And it's like, that's not his, for as much as it's fun to be like, hey, Mac Jones is bad. It's not his fault that there's nobody trying, that there's nobody capable, that there's nobody with the ability to help him win in these scenarios. Because you've got a coach who takes them off the team when they make a mistake as a rookie. And also, you've got a coach who, as GM, paid Devontae Parker. I will say this. I came home from the Bills game on Sunday. I was exhausted. I kept literally playing with my children on the floor. I was falling asleep. And then I'd wake up and I'd be like, all right. Cool, the kids are brushing their teeth. I'll help them do this. Blah, blah, blah. There's a photo of me just sleeping face down next to my son while he's watching some Disney cartoon on the TV. And <laughs> I'm f- I'm face planted. I'm done. And then I woke up and it was time for Sunday Night Football. And I was like, well, I'll watch 20 minutes of this. I'll pass out. And then I wake up and I woke up in time to watch Devontae Parker give one of the most sandbagging efforts I've ever seen on an interception in my entire life. And you paid that guy. You paid that. I'm mad for you, Christian. I'm mad. Thank, for, what was your reaction in that moment? <laughs> thank you. And uh, well, just what you said. This is what we paid for. Like I, 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 I quite frankly, something is seriously wrong. Let's say seriously, wrong, but there's something seriously uh, very curious. The way. Uh, players right now have been handled that are going, they're basically in the final year of their deal. Um, you didn't need to do anything with Parker, but you extended him. You didn't need to do anything with Juwan Bentley, but you decided to extend him. 
they have almost $150 million in cap space available next year, and it's almost like half the roster are free agents. I don't know if if the order came from above with with Kraft. This is a this is a local theory where people are saying um, he said to Bill, you know, you messed up so much so bad last year with the hiring of Patricia and Judge. I'm not going to give you the keys to 150 million. You know, moving forward, you're on a year to year basis now. I because I can't explain any other reason why you haven't extended your young guys. Why you haven't extended Kyle Duggar? Why you haven't extended Hunter Henry, who's your only real tight end on the team? I mean, you guys but just you watched money Jacoby Devontae Myers. Parker. You just watched right. Jacoby Myers leave. You paid right. Devontae Parker, who gives no effort, can't win jump right. balls, gets no separation. You watched Jacoby Myers having through week one before he got concussed and couldn't play against the Bills. You watched him having just a great start to the season. Two touchdowns, multiple catches. He looked sharp. You let the better player go and you paid that guy? Which doesn't make any sense. And if you think about it from a Dolphins perspective, they basically traded you and just gave you Devontae Parker. I mean, we used to do that years ago, and we used to laugh at the other teams. Like, I don't know, maybe when the Miami Dolphins, you know, let Wes Welker go um, and they and, and Patriots, you know, signed him and they traded for him and they signed him to a five-year at the time, $18 million deal. And people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe they paid that much for a, a, a wide receiver, a slot wide receiver. Now it's it's flipped, and, and, you're, and you're, you're the donkey. And that's what leads me to believe that Bill has lost his fastball in the personnel department. He can still game plan and scheme with anybody, but these moves with personnel is just – it's just, I mean, just makes your head explode. Just, I don't understand it. I don't understand. And Mike Kosicki's another guy. Juju Smith-Schuster. Mike Kosicki. Mike Kosicki and Juju Smith-Schuster. There are two free agent signings that have just, they're not explosive. And if anything, like Juju Smith-Schuster, five catches for 28 yards against the Dolphins. Five catches for 28 yards? That's, that's, it? that's a book. That's a book unto itself because apparently everybody in the league in the league knew that this guy's knee was ready to explode, except the Patriots for some reason. Albert Breer came out with a report two weeks ago that said his knee could explode at any time. And guess what? The first two weeks, he looks like a guy running on one leg. Yeah, well, it's that's crazy. It. It's almost like he knows it, so he's just dogging it. He's just right. dogging it out there to try to earn the contract and be on the field. Almost like the message was, we need a body. We don't need you to be a star. We just need you to be out there, which is which pisses me off for you. If you want to think about the fact that here's a guy in Demario Douglas who's killing himself to try to make plays because he wants to scratch out an earning and a living in the NFL, and you're going to bench him for that guy. And for right. the Devontae Parkers of the world and the Mike Sickies of the world who are big for no reason. Like, you're big for no right. reason. You're a Sopranos guy. It's like, oh, yeah. it's like big pussy. <laughs> what are you doing? Yep. That's not exactly. that because you're big, but you won't fight. You can't do anything. Right. Like, you're, just, you're just big. Right. Like, that doesn't right. mean anything to me. And so I look at this and I say to myself, as a Patriots fan, I'm staring down the barrel of an 0-3 start. What do I have to get excited about? Like when you're watching this team, when you and your fellow fans are commiserating and you're, you're on Twitter, on Facebook and your social media groups and your websites, where, like, what is it that, cause Christian Gonzalez has been a great find for you guys. Like that's, you have some bright spots here and there. Yeah. You've got some things to get really excited about. What is it that's 
keeping you guys going, staring down what could be an 0-3 start to the season for the first time in forever? That that the defense um, is going to be able to save save a game for you. That get like you just said, Christian Gonzalez, Marty Ma- Marte Mapu, um, Keon White. They've been playing meaningful snaps. Although Keon White took a step back this game as far as the snaps go and impact, but Bills playing the rookies on that side of the ball. They're producing. The defense looks good. Um, honestly, that's it. Like for this week in particular, the gift is Zach Wilson. It's the gift that just keeps on giving. I mean, yes. that kid stares at his targets. You're welcome. I mean, just, you know, yeah. I mean, he just, <laughs> hey, you know, thanks for wrapping up Aaron Rodgers in week one. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it, that's that's it, really. Like, and, and Bill, you know, Bill started his press conference today. Okay, it's Jets week. Like, Bill obviously, you know, has a disdain for the Jets. Like, but going into that stadium with that defense and with the state of the offensive line right now, I don't know how they're going to move the ball and score points. I see another 7 nothing game like last year when Marcus Jones returned the punt to close the game and they win 7. Like I see that type of game. I don't see how they're going to be able to move the ball. I don't. I have no idea. If you have any, uh, I, I guess I was going to say, are you at least confident that out of all the things in the world, Mac Jones in this defense that the Patriots have should be enough to challenge for a victory against this Jets team? Yeah, it should. Um, but, you know, I have to lose that way of thinking with this team because it's been ingrained in me for like two decades. Oh, this spot, they'll be fine. They never lose two games in a row at home. They never lose to this team in this spot. Those are becoming far and far less guarantees. This is probably, honestly, other than saying that you all we always lose in Miami every year because of the heat, this is like the next best guarantee that you always beat the Jets, no matter if you're home or away. I mean, and that's really it. Um, I, so yeah, this is this is <laughs> this is the last sort of guarantee. I'm sorry, but I, I think they'll even struggle against teams like the Saints and the Commanders, who are both two and zero, and who I both think are frauds. But I don't think anything of my team right now. In case you can't tell, <laughs> it's it's. I can't wait to be following you on Sunday. Just watching my phone, watching the Christian Simonelli show on Twitter. It's it. You do what I do. You turn to Twitter to just dump out some of your thoughts that you can't scream into the room full of people. <laughs> oh yeah, and I love it. Where can all of our listeners follow you? Because guys, it, it's he's probably the most altruistic Patriots fan I've ever talked to. And find me at Chris with the T I A N on Twitter and uh, give me a follow. I'll, I'll give you a follow back and we'll have fun on game day. Got to crack a fresh one here. As we turn to the Buffalo Bills, who fucking inexplicably because of that stupid fucking punt return are still third place in the AFC East. We're here talking about the Buffalo Bills who beat the Raiders 38 to 10. You can hear our recap podcast. Uh, you know, we talked about a lot of things Bills related. We covered. Some things, and as I teased at the end of that show, Chris, I think the broader thing, one of the big things that I took away from that win over the Raiders wasn't just the fact that we as a team are back, right? Like, it's like, oh, guys, remember how everyone was fucking down, and all of a sudden we dominated a a team that everyone figured we should, and all of a sudden the Super Bowl's back on. It was never off. You guys are all hyperbolic jerk-offs, and you need to calm down. If you want to go to a team that's down... You just go to the butthole of Ohio. Nah. Cincinnati 0-2, oh, 
and Burroughs injured. Well, so, so and so this is it. Go, so national this, media needs to go fuck on them. So this is the conversation. I'm coming out of this game. Not only do I feel fine. It's like I said, I wasn't worked up before the last game because I just didn't feel like it carried as much gravity as everyone thought it did. And then obviously the injury to Aaron Rodgers happens and that changes everything. And that's part of the equation. Injuries changing what we thought about this division, what we thought about this conference. When you look around the AFC and look at the injury situation for every team involved who you thought was going to be a contender, like it's one thing to be one and one and feeling as good as I think most Bills fans do about week two. There's a lot of teams that won this past week who probably still feel like losers. And there's a lot of teams who lost who feel like even bigger losers. Like, I don't know, for as competitive as the AFC looked on paper in the preseason and probably still will be to a certain degree down the stretch. Buffalo is on the right side of what has been an absolute tsunami of injuries and absences. Chris, there's no other way to, I mean, I've got, you've got the list in front of you. I sent you the notes, but holy shit. The Chiefs. Let's start with the, let's start with, you know, the, the, the mountaintop. The Chiefs. They missed Kelsey and Chris Jones in week one when they lost to the Lions. Neither one of them in week two played more than 63% of the snaps in a very narrow victory over Jacksonville. Chris, if I had told you that they would almost lose to the Jaguars and the Jaguars weren't going to score an offensive touchdown. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> like, what the fuck? You would think you from a betting perspective, you would think that that game would hit the over one hundred percent, and it didn't. I think all other one o'clock games were over except that one. If I oh, was and Kadarius Tony has a foot injury to go along with whatever disease you contract that makes you drop four passes and then fumble another one. <laughs> is there a hand disease going around out there? Like I understand COVID's back, but. Is there a hands disease? Because <laughs> whatever it is, Kadarius Tony fucking caught it. The Bengals. Chris, there's been no fan base is insufferable over the last 12 months in the fucking Bengals. First of all, you live in glorified Kentucky, and I will I will die on this hill that if the people of Kentucky weren't so neutered, just weren't if they weren't such cowards, they would just annex Cincinnati and see what Ohio did about it. <laughs> they would just take it. I mean. To me, you can't declare yourself a major metropolitan area if you don't have an airport. If I want to fly to Cincinnati, I have to fly to Kentucky and drive back. True or false, Chris? I don't know. I know there's a Cincinnati airport, but is it located in Kentucky? What is it? Is it it like Tupelo, Mississippi, where you fly in and they have to bring the jet bridge out onto the tarmac? Fuck Cincinnati. Fuck them. They're chilly. Jake brought chili Skyline, a can of Skyline Chili to the tailgate. Well, there's the Cincinnati Northern Kentucky <laughs> Airport. You shouldn't have to share it with another city. You are Northern Kentucky. See, it's right there. Screw them. Screw Cincinnati. Screw their fans. They're, they're dirtbag fans. I've had enough. Th- them, Eli Apple, all of them. I'll see them all in hell. I think it's clear to everybody that Joe Burrow is not okay. He wasn't okay week one. He really got hurt week two. Now they don't know what he's going to do. Today's a big day. Chris, did he get put on the IR or what? I have no idea. Did guys call in if you know. 
Jesus Christ. Give it a goog while I'm, while I'm over here. Well, they got one one extra day because they're I know. On, on MNF. So so now the question is, tomorrow's their practice. Who starts? Who's at practice with the ones? Whoever their backup is. Which is fucking who? Either I'm way, looking it up. Either way, they're already down 0-2 after a pair of divisional losses. Their star, the, the, the highest paid quarterback ever, is down after a pair of divisional losses. And they're also missing Joseph Asai. Who's like their depth pass rusher? He's their like third guy. They rotate. Jake Browning. <laughs> Jake Browning. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I just hope he likes Jamar Chase because I have him in fantasy. Like that's it. Just just throw the ball fifteen times a game to Jamar Chase. We'll be friends. The Ravens. Baltimore hasn't been. I put it in air quotes. Dynamic yet this season. Now, I give some of that to the fact that Lamar Jackson has some rust to knock off. I give some of it to the fact that, I don't know, he like, like he also injured his throwing hand this past week. So that's a thing. He's on the injury report now for a hand injury. It would be nice if you could help out a guy coming back from injury who missed a giant chunk of last season and who's also learning a new offense. Unfortunately, the team is drowning. There's no one to help him up. Uh, he, he loses J.K. Dobbins week one to... Un- Chris, is he done with football? I don't know. Nick Chubb might be done with football. Like, think no. Well, think about J.K. Dobbins. This is his third year being robbed of an entire season with a lower body injury. I don't know how much more you can... You can try. The, 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 the Ravens aren't re-signing you. Now you're like a guy waiting to latch onto a roster at the end of free agency. You're some team's... I hate to say it, but Chris, like the 2 a.m. phone call, that's going to be J.K. Dobbins' future. And that's sad because he had so much promise coming out of college. Left tackle Ronnie Stanley. Again, another lower body injury for a left tackle who has never played a full season in his entire career. Chris, since 2019, had a Pro Bowl year. They signed him to a fat contract extension. Take a stab at what percentage of games he's he's played since then. Can't be that high. I don't know, 34? 28%. That's close. 28% of all the games that your your highly paid left tackle has started for you since you paid him. It's been four years. This is crazy. And he's hurt again. Center Tyler Linderbaum has an ankle. Marlon Humphrey has a foot injury. Marcus Williams has a pec injury. Uh, Odafe Away has an ankle injury. OBJ! You're like, oh, you know what's going to really help them this year? Chris, remember what a big deal the OBJ hunt was? Yeah. Free agency? He's immediately hurt. He's got an ankle injury. And they go, well, we're going to ease into it. The team has nine starters, either on IR or with a questionable tag, heading into week three. That's fucking wild. And you have a new offense. So good luck trying to, like, make that a dynamic thing week over week, especially when you, because you made the playoffs last year, your schedule isn't exactly a cakewalk like the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to have. The Chargers. Austin Eckler. Sets my fantasy team on fire week one, misses week two with an ankle injury. Now, they said there's no discernible timetable for his fucking return. So your star running back is out, your backups, mediocre, 
in an offense in an overtime loss to the Titans. Chris, we made fun of the Titans all offseason. Yeah. How did how do you lose as the Chargers to that team? You're now 0-2 in a division where a weak Kansas City, like if you could ever just fucking get out of your own way and catch those guys, this might have been your year, and you're already banged up enough where you might not get there. The Jaguars, who had that game with Kansas City that went under inexplicably. Look at Zay Jones and Travis Etienne, who are big parts of the Jaguars' attack. Lower body injuries, questionable. Star, star linebacker Josh Allen has a shoulder injury that could cost him some upcoming time, maybe a game. They scored no touchdowns against a mediocre, maybe slightly better than average Chiefs defense. That's not fucking good. Yeah. It's really not good. The Browns. Chris, I have a graphic on my phone that I took a picture of. Better not be that fucking injury. No, 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 no. I'm 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 a sick man, but I'm not cruel. Actually I am. But but I digress. It's a graphic, Chris, that I'll send it to you so you can put it in the video here on YouTube. Since 1999, going into week two, the Cleveland Browns have had 34 different starting quarterbacks, which is the most in NFL, like the most in the NFL over that time span. 444 touchdown passes, which is the fewest in the NFL over that time span. And they've thrown the second most interceptions <laughs> of anybody since 1999 entering week two. And of course, Deshaun Watson opens the game with a pick six. That was fun to watch. Dick, first of all, his stats are puke worthy over the course of the game. So the funniest thing might be that, like, he might be the NFL's worst quarterback right now who's making more than $20 million a year. The least funny thing about the Browns is the loss of Nick Chubb. That just fucking sucks because he they showed the graphic in the game right before he got hurt that it was Bo Jackson, Jamal Charles, and Nick Chubb as far as just yards per carry. Like These are the only guys who are over 5.3. So he's a, singular, he's a singularity. You're never going to replace Nick Chubb. He's gone. Jerome Ford might be good, but he's not Nick Chubb. It, it's unfortunate. And you have this dog shit quarterback, but oh, also you lost offensive tackle Jack Conklin, who's a multiple-time pro bowler. He's on the IR. So now your offensive, offensive line depth, you've got a rookie out there, and he had some high points, had some low points, and your, your CB2, Chris. So imagine their version of Dane Jackson or, uh, you know, uh, what's his face? Uh, why can't I think of his name? The six-round draft pick who took Elam's job. He's Benford. Benford. Imagine Benford just hyper hyper extending his elbow, trying to make a tackle. In a game that somebody joked online was like the Red Wedding because people just kept dying. <laughs> They're like, oh, Jesus Christ. So the Browns have been hit now. The Steelers, their offense has no punch. They're missing Deontay Johnson for the next four weeks. You also lost a starting linebacker, a kick returner, and Mike Fitzpatrick is... Chris, arguably one of the NFL's best safeties. Yes. Okay. He's Why out. he got traded. He's out, too. So now you're this team that was pegged as like a... Much like how the Bears in the NFC were everyone's like, hey, we need to vamp for a shitty team that we hope is better. The Steelers were a lot of people's popular pick 
in the media, the mainstream media. They go, oh, see, the defense is going to be strong. Kenny Pickett's really turning the corner. What does Kenny Pickett look like at quarterback to you when you watch this play? They need a new OC. That's what it is. The whole stadium chanting fire, Matt Can- fire Canada? Yeah. And then there's the Jets. We all know how screwed their season got up with the loss of Aaron Rodgers. But it's gotten worse. They've now absorbed kicker injuries, backup linebacker, safety, cornerback injuries. Their depth is now getting hit. And they're two games into the year for a roster that was already pretty thin to begin with. I mean, the hole is obvious a quarterback. Now it's being, now the roster is being kind of pressured and bent and shaped <laughs> elsewhere. Meanwhile, you look at Buffalo. Fresh off a of showing that our offense can in fact work. And then our quarterback does have it in him to run a fucking system that we talked about in the in the recap podcast. I'm not going to bore you with it again. What I do know is that we're not only loaded with talent, but we are still, Chris, one of the healthiest teams in the AFC. And that for now. Matters. For now. And that matters. That's going to change over time. But I will say, like... I think that a lot of teams are going to regress to the mean where to, to where they normally are. Like for Buffalo, Chris, last year was our most injured season under Sean McDermott. Surprisingly. But every year before that, we've been relatively healthy. I feel like some of these guys are going to get hurt just because they're long in the tooth. That's the thing that's going to happen when you have one of the most veteran rosters in football. But also, I think that on the whole, some of your injuries are just going to regress to the mean, which means... We're not going to have as many as we did last year, and it looks like everybody else is already off to a pretty sizable head start. I can't complain about where we stand, can you? No. So with that in mind, the future looks pretty bright. And so we'll... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, I move away from the Buffalo Bills. I stay with the New York Jets. As we talk about the Jets that lost to Dallas 30-10, to 10, we have Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet here on the air with us. Scott, I have to ask a question. I know you weren't expecting miracles in the aftermath. Like, obviously, we talked about it. This idea that the Bills lost, the Jets won. Good for you guys. You knew things were going to be difficult. Did you envision them being this difficult? Look, the Jets ran into a buzzsaw in Dallas. I don't really know what else to say about it. Reality is, 
they got bullied. The defense got bullied big time by the Cowboys offense. The offense, the offensive line specifically got bullied by Micah Parsons in that unit. The Cowboys through two weeks look like they might be the best team in the NFL or at least the most balanced. Hey, and- Scott, Scott, are you saying your offensive line is Jack Perry? They got, <laughs> they got bullied. <laughs> I would say that, that the offensive line is Jack Perry, but unfortunately, Micah Parsons did not get fired as a result of the assault <laughs> that he laid down on Zach Wilson. The worst part um, is I got that reference. The worst part is that I understood that reference. <laughs> By the way, and I know we've talked about this, Jack Perry, the son of the late Luke Perry, a.k.a. Dylan McKay of Beverly Hills 902 and Elfie. Yep. But, yeah, no, I mean, look, they got bullied – all, all over the place, and the overreactions are hilarious because now half the Jets fan base is convinced that the season is over, and you know how that goes. I mean, listen, Bills fan, Josh Allen, and then Josh Allen comes back, wins AFC Player of the Week. Fans are irrational, man. It's amazing how sports makes even the most rational people lose their minds sometimes. Now, here's what I want to ask you. Like the conversation that I've kind of I've had in mind all week is I've kind of chewed on this and I've watched what happened on Sunday. I criticize Salah and I criticize Hackett ahead of the season. And in the wake of the, their victory over Buffalo, I gave them both their flowers. And I said, look, you guys deserve a lot of credit for keeping this team together, for making them competent. Even if I think Salah needs a better speechwriter, you guys did the job. The problem is is that there's 16 more games after that. And that's what's going to define you as a coaching staff. You might not win as many as you thought you would with Rodgers, but you were a Super Bowl contender not just because you had Aaron Rodgers, but because of the perceived strength of the roster that you've built. And you have to show that every week you're prepared and ready to go so that you can at least be competitive. One of the biggest criticisms that come out of this game from Jets fans that I saw online was attacking that facet of things. The lack of preparation and that coaching ultimately failed to yield a respectable result. Now you've got players subtweeting the team, players deactivating their social media accounts. I want to start with this. Nate Hackett. Through two weeks, Nate Hackett's offensive approach has not been great. It took the special teams in week one to beat the Buffalo Bills. Dwayne Brown claimed afterwards that there was no plan put in place specifically for Micah Parsons. And I think about the Buffalo Bills and I go, we had a plan for Max Crosby and he's not fucking Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons is Max Crosby standing on Max Crosby's shoulders wrapped in a trench coat. How do you look at the performance of what Hackett prepared this offense for? I think the biggest issue here is that they didn't even adjust. Look, it's bad enough to not have a plan for Micah Parsons ahead of time, but to not adjust when it's clear that he's just, look, God bless Dwayne Brown. He's (laughs) been a good player for a long time. He's 38. He's coming off shoulder surgery. Maybe he's just not the same guy anymore. He could not handle Micah Parsons. He was getting beaten like a drum all day. And, I mean, look, in fairness, pretty much everybody does by Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons is an animal. 
But the the truth is here, when you're watching it, you're saying, why aren't we seeing more of Jeremy Rucker to come in there, their young tight end who's an effective blocker, and help Dwayne Brown with Micah Parsons? And Jeremy Rucker played five snaps in that game. So it was just ridiculous. I mean, look, reality is, and we'll, we'll talk about Zach Wilson, I'm sure, I don't care who you are, but if you're pressured on 70% of your dropbacks... That's it. Everyone yeah. talks about the shit job Zach Wilson did. I don't blame him. Your team gave you no support. Yeah. And look, I'll throw in Zach Wilson right now. I don't think Zach Wilson played all that poorly, truthfully. First of all, everybody saw what the Cowboys did to the $140 million man two weeks ago, right? And look, did Zach Wilson light it up? No, but 70% of his dropbacks, he was getting pressured. He stood in the pocket, threw some nice passes, used his legs to get some first downs. I actually remarked to Luke Grant, the Thunder from down under, that he looked a little bit like uh, what Mitchell Trubisky was doing in Chicago, where if you recall, early in his career, he was effective because he third and six, third and seven, whatever. He's a pro bowler. Yeah, he used his legs to go and get a first down. I, I thought he avoided all the big mistakes until the very end. And I mean, look, this is where looking at a box score is stupid. Zach Wilson threw three interceptions. By the time he threw them, they were down three scores late in the game. It was yeah. in the fourth he was just trying. The dude's just like, fuck it. I'm throwing the football. I actually feel bad for Zach Wilson. Yeah, I, I don't think he was bad, truthfully. If you go back and watch the film, I thought, look, he's shown improvements the first two weeks. And there's a faction of Jets fans and, and really a faction of national pundits that don't want to hear it right now. I mean, you heard what Shannon Sharp said, obviously. Oh, he couldn't play dead at a funeral or whatever. But I would bet you that Shannon Sharp hasn't watched more than like a couple of highlights and he saw the interceptions or whatever. He didn't see the rest of it. And the truth of the matter is this week, I think we'll find out a little bit more about Zach Wilson, but I find it hard to judge him based on what he did in the Cowboys game when I think he actually took some positive steps forward. And I was saying this, Drew, and I think this is a fair thing to say. Zach Wilson went into this season as the backup, a guy who was supposed to sit for a couple of years behind Aaron Rodgers and only play in an emergency and all that. And so the expectation can't be what the expectation was when he first came into the league, which was always oh, going to make progress year one or whatever by year two or year three, he's going to be one of the top quarterbacks. The expectation has to be that he get to the point where he's a respectable backup slash low end starter, like no, no, say no. a Jacoby set or something but like that. It doesn't that. even have to be that way. He could be Alex Smith. He could be the guy who just needs the right coordinator, the right system, and a time. Time to acclimate to the game. And then he could go on to be a respectable starter because he has the athletic tools to do it. And he showed that in this game. And that's what pisses me off about the way this all unfolded for Jets fans. Like, I hate sounding like a Jets defender in this because it is a podcast where we're supposed to talk shit about each other's teams. Zach Wilson didn't deserve what happened to him. <laughs> he just didn't. And then I, so what I do is I look at the coaching staff and I think about all the shit that I talked about them over the course of the offseason. And I say, okay, Hackett, you didn't build a competent offense around this guy. I mean, Connor McGovern said after the game, well, our silent count was too predictable and the Cowboys just ate us up. It's like, well, 
That's a fucking problem too. And if in the middle of a game you don't realize that you have to make choices, you have to. Tr- but then the worst part was there was no pressure beaters. They're empty backfields. <laughs> they go, oh, that'll that'll help. No, it won't. They'll just continue to go after your quarterback. They needed to give him some of what maybe Ken Dorsey gave Josh this weekend, which was just, hey, you got eaten up last week. Here's a game where every play, there's going to be a check down. Every single play, there's going to be an intermediary target. And we're going to we're gonna take this back to elementary school. But we know you're a decent quarterback and you can make this work. And Josh Allen orchestrated the offense to the point where he's the AFC player of the week. You look at what they gave Wilson, and they literally handed him a bag of rocks and told him to swim. That's on the coaching staff. And then I think about what that means about the broader picture. Then the defense not coming into form for that game. And then the way that it all fell apart. What is the referendum from this game on the coaching staff and what they are without this? Because you remember I talked about how my warning sign was that all the players were talking about what a transformative presence Aaron Rodgers was and how he was the thing that made everything different. Do you, are you, is there any worry in your mind or in Jets fans' minds that there's a real problem brewing here? Well, first of all, a couple of things. For, let me just quickly finish the point I was making about Zach Wilson. Whatever he ends up being in the long run, he ends up being in the long run. I'm talking about just for this year. You, the expectation has to be or the ceiling or hope has to be that he can get to that, you know, Jacoby Brissett level, Andy Dalton 2023 level, not Andy Dalton in his prime and all of that. If he can do that, then I think the Jets have a chance and ultimately then Zach Wilson becomes the effective number two, the guy that you didn't want to have to rely on. But once you do, you make the best of the situation. Uh, as far as the coaching staff, going back to what you're saying about building a, a competent offense, this does go back to, if you recall, I I'd said this on a couple of the offseason podcasts, and I know I beat this drum on my show, and I'll get to the coaches in a second, but part of this has got to be on Joe Douglas too, right? Because the entire offseason philosophy seemed to be Aaron Rodgers will fix it, right? Because... They didn't really upgrade the offensive line. They didn't really upgrade the receiving core. I mean, yeah, they added Alan Lazard. They got rid of Elijah Moore. Seems to be a wash of sorts. So really, when you look at it, you say, why didn't they do more? Especially the offensive line. I mean, you're looking at a guy in Joe Douglas who prides himself on the offensive line. He was an offensive lineman himself. He's all about the trenches and all that. And he... Didn't really do anything in the offseason there. and didn't really do anything with the weapons around the quarterback other than Dalvin Cook, and that's a whole other story. That, that whole thing is a strange one, and that's TBD. But I, as you know, I had told you, I the, the warning signs were there with Cook. We'll see what happens. But through two weeks, he's sort of looking more like the player we saw last year rather than the player we saw a couple of years ago, which is yes. what you would expect. But as far as the coaching staff, listen, we're going to see. Because with Robert Sala, there were some things that you liked with him uh, last year, some things you didn't like with him. I mean, I think he's very good in terms of, like, getting the players behind him and all that stuff, the rah-rah things. But little attention to detail and, and those things, that's something we have to see him improve upon. And as far as Nathaniel Hackett, I mean, he just got here. But 
Obviously, everybody was making a lot about his synergy with Rodgers and his ability to hopefully work with Zach Wilson over the long haul. But now Rodgers is gone, and he's got to do this with Zach Wilson, and he also has to find a way to improve the team around Zach Wilson, most notably that offensive line who, look, I told you, I thought if they were healthy, they weren't terrible. Uh, So far, that's been incorrect. Maybe they're not healthy. Maybe Dwayne Brown's not all the way back or whatever it is. And some people have said it's because they haven't built the chemistry together. Whatever the excuse is, ESPN, their metrics show that the Jets have the worst pass blocking unit in the league through two weeks. Now, part of that, obviously, is because they just played the Cowboys and the Cowboys would make anyone look bad. Yeah, they're a buzzsaw, to your point. But if they do this again against the Patriots, who also have a very good defense this week, it's going to be a big problem. And look, this is where we're going to see start to see where, what Salah and Hackett and Ulbrich and all these guys are made of because they've got to put together an effective game plan to protect Zach Wilson, to pressure Mac Jones, to be able to get points. And, and really what it comes down to here is I think this game – is in some ways potentially a fork in the road. Look, if they lose, it's not the end of the season. If they win, it doesn't mean they've gotten over the hump and they're going to the playoffs and this and that. But what it, what I can say is that the Jets have lost to the Patriots the last 14 times they've played. The last time they beat the Patriots was that home game in 2015, the famous Ryan Fitzpatrick playing overtime to Eric Decker. And Zach Wilson has been horrendous against the Patriots so far in his career. I mean, just brutal. So if Zach Wilson can play well, or at least passable, and the Jets can win this game, then maybe that the team starts to rally and, and they really begin to believe that they can do this without Aaron Rodgers. If Wilson is really bad and the Jets lose at home, then we'll start to see – potentially some some ripples and it could get bad so to me this is a very important game for this team because remember last year we had that disastrous performance that we watched at MetLife where Zach Wilson was just you know throwing interceptions and all that and then the second game in in Foxborough where if he would have just led one decent drive they'd have won the game and the Patriots ended up winning on that punt return at the end that can't happen. So to me, this is an important game. And if the Jets win and Wilson plays reasonably well, it could point towards some potentially good things happening for them the rest of the season. If they lose, and especially if it's ugly, I I don't really want to think about that because it could be the beginning of something bad. Man, for a season that started with so much promise, the fact that we're here talking about this is crazy. But that's, I will say, <laughs> like vultures, everyone flocks to a train wreck. <laughs> everyone <laughs> wants to be spectators to a car crash. And in that way, I've been eating up all the Jets coverage I can get. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find your stuff over a play like a Jet? Well, excellent question, Shelton. <laughs> so, you can find, you can find, by the way, and I've said this before because if you don't know what that means, Google and you will laugh. Trust me. Uh, you can play like a jet anywhere where you can download podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, uh, anywhere else that you get your podcasts. You can find us at playlikeajet.com. Our YouTube channel is really 
doing well right now. The Thunder from Down Under Luke Bolt doing some great all 22 reviews. YouTube.com slash play like a jet. And beyond that, you can follow me on Twitter at play like a jet one. Boys, we'll have an interesting conversation next week. I think Bills fans were panicking and getting a little weird after the loss to the Jets. Now they seem to be more chipper and upbeat about the team. Jets fans were pretty happy after that week one, even though obviously Aaron Rodgers went down after week two. Everybody's in season is over mode. We'll see where the temperature is at after week three, but it's going to be an interesting week for sure. And so as we close the show, Chris, I'm getting real sick of having to end with the Dolphins. Don't worry. September's almost over. (laughs) I'm getting real sick of having to end with the Dolphins here. Mr. Elfartiaga joins us to talk about the uh, 2-0 Miami Dolphins. They beat the Patriots 24-17. And the first thing I wanted, I just want to declare, holy shit, they figured out how to run the football. Elf, what was your reaction? What was your reaction was, to seeing a running back play a meaningful role for the Miami Dolphins? It was nice to see. And it was nice to see that Mike McDaniel went through with his word and he said, you play us in the parking lot, we'll run it up the middle. And sure enough, that's exactly what they did. They ran inside zone. And the Patriots trotted out a really cynical game plan. I love these Patriot fans. By the way, they're the worst, and I agree with Tyreek Hill. They're the worst fans <laughs> and in all of the NFL. Like, it's not even close. Those clowns are just the worst. <laughs> but there's some of them, including Bill Simmons, that said, oh, we, we've, or, or I can't even do their, their act. We figured him out. You know, so they think they figured out the Miami Dolphins, yet they gave up 400 yards of offense, 6.4 yards per play, and almost 150 yards rushing. It was very nice to see how a team can line up in very, very cynical formations with six defensive backs, (laughs) light boxes of five and six. And we decide, you know what? We're just running it right up the middle. It's like, dude, if you're going to dare me to do this thing, I'll do it. I'll find it. I'll do it. You're like, and you, you know for a fact Mike McDaniel's sitting there going, I don't want to, but fuck this guy. <laughs> Fine. You you want it? Fine, old man. I'll give it to you. <laughs> but it was very nice to see. Uh, adapt to what your opponent is doing and get success that way. So one of the crazier stats that came out of this game to me was picking through, because on paper it looked close. And then obviously, you know, I, I was exhausted. I woke up with like a few minutes left in the game, saw it was close, turned it on just in time to watch the Patriots try. Do you think that they're maybe done lateraling for a while? It seems like every time they do this shit, nothing good comes out of it. Did you wake up in time to see Mike Gusecki not being able to break a tackle from 185 pounds yeah. Justin Bethel? Well, that's what I saw. And I saw the play and I go, first of all, you're supposed to be a tight end. <laughs> just like, like, like. Everyone talks about Dalton Kincaid, and they go, oh, well. I heard someone pre-draft when they were kind of, kind of throwing detritus at Dalton Kincaid as a prospect, and they were like, oh, well, Mike Kosicki had the same kind of thing. Bah, 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 bah. I watched Dalton Kincaid this weekend catch a ball, lower his shoulder, drive through contact, and get a first down, pick up like eight yards on a play where he had to use some physicality in order to pick up yards. I don't think Mike Kosicki knows what physicality means. <laughs> you watch. No, he does not. Because <laughs> so, how how can a 185 pound special teams player? Because we were playing like six and seven defensive backs at the end of that game, stone him from that first down when he was just two yards away. He was two yards away from the from the first down. Just drag him there. No, 
like you outweigh him. You're taller than him. You're bigger than him. But he he's one of those guys who's big but plays small. Yes. And in fact, I feel like that's I feel like that's a lot. You know, to, earlier in the show, we were talking about the talking to long suffering Patriots fan Christian Simonelli, and one of the things I brought up was just this concept that you've got a lot of guys on this. Patriots team, you know, we talked about Devontae Parker just watching that interception. <laughs> Dude, you're huge. Go in there and fight that safety for the ball. Not even an effort. It's like, it just feels like the Patriots on both sides of the ball are made up of a lot of these types of players, doesn't it? Yeah, Chris Kaufman, my partner on the podcast, had the best quote. And I said, man, that's a good one. I'm going to trot that out. And I guess I'm going to trot it out right here. He said, that Patriots roster on offense does not make sense. And that's that's what it is. Like, if you look at that roster, you're like, it looked like they sat around and said, let's find every single catch radius guy we can find that gets no separation. Mm-hmm. And in fact, since we can't find them, just give me next-gen stats and just give me the bottom four names <laughs> that you get on that list and just sign them all. And that's exactly what they did. Look, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't like to take giant dumps on Mike Gusecki, but... He is the world's biggest slot receiver. But when you're that big and you play in the slot and you run a four six, you know, that's not desirable. It's just not. Somebody's going to figure out how to use him, and it's probably going to be in the USFL or something like that. But he's been a guy who's been steadily fading. And Devontae Parker, we know about him. So in this game, you know, th- th- this concept, though, that through two weeks, Tyreek Hill has this weird combination of stats where the ball comes out of his hand the fastest of anybody in football. At the same time, his intended air yards are the highest in football. Those are two things that usually are not congruent like that. And so obviously this is part of a system. This is what they've done to mitigate the offensive line. It's why Chris Greer felt good about this because you've got to agree. Like I thought coming into this game, okay, maybe this is the game Bill Belichick decides to, like, this is the time they're going to play a team that's going to try, instead of getting cute with defensive backs all over the place, they're going to try to get actual pressure. And instead, he did the thing where he got cute, but it's almost like it wouldn't have mattered. If you had taken that track and said, okay, we're going to load up, we're going to get some exotic blitzes, blah, blah, it won't matter because the ball comes out very quickly to a predetermined spot and they know that they have the speed at wide receiver to beat most players to that spot. And so in this way, it's like the new thing I've seen is where they go, oh, well, Tua, he's just, these stats are awesome, but he's just a system quarterback. And I go, yeah, so is fucking Tom Brady and Troy Aikman. They got hardware. <laughs> they have hardware. That's all. That's if, so the system, young. if the system works, and right now it seems to be working really well for the Miami Dolphins. I mean, just this, hey, I'm going to throw it to a spot and you're Tyreek Hill. With a running head start as you're leaving the line of scrimmage, good luck. Just good fucking luck. I, what do you? How? First of all, the injury to Jalen Waddle. How dirty was that hit? Because I didn't get to see it. It was pretty dirty. Uh, what was hilarious about it was uh, Bill Belichick going apoplectic on the sideline, saying he's going for the ball, <laughs> and then he he's he's having a fit. Then they show the replay, and yeah, Jalen Waddle goes for the ball. It goes through his hands. He's falling down, and this guy dives right at the back of his head and hits him helmet to helmet. That's mm-hmm. called helmet to helmet. That's 15 yards. That's a penalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good news is that he's walking. He's walking around, and the the whispers are he'll be ready for for Sunday. Uh, he's in good spirits. 
Um, if you saw him after the game, he was in a celebratory mood, but mm-hmm. he was in no shape at that moment in time to be playing. No. So when you're talking about the, the you know the rest of the the, the rest of, because obviously things went well. The one thing I wanted to ask you about is the fumbles by Tua. Who's who do you blame for those? Like obviously they didn't hurt you guys. You still won the game. They weren't lost, but obviously <laughs> you don't want to see that. Who do you blame for those in a vacuum? Well, it's it's obviously Connor Williams because he had these issues since last year, and he has this this problem with with his snaps. They're just inconsistent. And you can see it all the time, even on on some of Tua's best plays. The placement on on the ball when they when they when they were in shotgun, it's just absolutely awful, all the time. And now it's migrated to under center, and he's doing this thing where he's snapping it either short, and now it's it's like a disease. It's spread to to Tua now because Tua actually mishandled one of those. That if you watch it, you're like, okay, whose fault is this? And you look at it, and you're like, yeah, okay, this is Connor Williams' fault. But still, grab that ball. I don't know why, what, you know, <laughs> why you're mishandling this thing. But it is messing up the timing. And you can see that Tua's trying to get the hell out of there to try to go hand it off because the way our offense is actually set up, especially in the run game, you know, Tua has to actually go hit landmarks to hand the ball off. Mm-hmm. So he has to grab that thing, and he has to get into a dead sprint to get out to, to Mostert. Yep. So the operation is completely off, and it's something they got to work on. And I don't know if you saw it, but they were kneeling on it. And do you know how when everybody like lines up right next to the quarterback mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the victory formation? Yeah, you got to see why <laughs> because they mishandled one right there when they were they were putting the game away. I don't know if you saw if you saw the film, you see that he mishandles it and like he kind of bobbles it. And he grabs it and he takes a knee, but you see that Alec Ingold flies in and just hugs Tua like oh, that ball's not going anywhere. He's like, for so. the love of God, get down! I'll. He's like, I'll pancake you like you're on fire if you if you even look like you're going to drop the ball. Yeah, so they're having an issue. I don't know what it is. The the pro, the is I the guess yips the, for a center a thing? It has to be. But what's odd is that Connor Williams is playing so well. Uh, he had him and Robert Hunt had the blocks to spring Mostert on that last touchdown. Mm-hmm. He's playing so well that you almost got to like grin and bear it. And Mike McDaniel was asked about it. And he goes, yeah, it's a problem, but it's two two sixtieth of a problem. You know, I'm not going to address something that is only bad two out of 60 times. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, Mike, but those two times could be really consequential. So, I think it's something that they really do have to address very near future. Do Dolphins fans on the other side of the ball, are people a little bit more encouraged by what they saw by the defense this week? Absolutely. And that that was by complete accident. And I've told people uh, (laughs) this all week. Uh, I understand Vic Fangio knows more about defense than I ever even can dream to, to know about defense. He is a true expert. He is one of the greats. But he has it in his head that Andrew Van Ginkle is a middle linebacker or an interior linebacker or a Phil linebacker. And, dude, that guy, when you put him on the edge, good things always happen. What happens in this game? David Long gets the start. He plays most of the game at middle linebacker. Andrew Van Ginkle plays in place of Jalen Phillips. And he has a monster game. Three tackles for loss, a sack, a forced fumble, eight tackles. Uh, including the the tackle at the end of the game. 
he has a monster game. Why? He's not playing a position. He just can't do. He can't play. He can't play interior linebacker. Well, we remember so, that Bills fans know about that with A.J. Klein. Chris, that was the nightmare scenario, right? Was watching all these no-name linebackers get trotted out in training camp going, holy shit, Sean McDermott might actually be trying to ham-fist A.J. Klein into our middle linebacker role. We've seen that before. He lacks the athletic chops for it, or at least not the athletic chops. He's just not that type of athlete. You can't ask him to do that. You need him to be a Sam linebacker, outside linebacker type near the line of scrimmage. And so this thing you're describing, Bills fans are really familiar with it. It's interesting to hear that the, I mean, I guess it took a week. You know, maybe he, Vic Fangio had it in his head that, hey, I like the experience of this guy in this style of defense versus this guy. But clearly he rectified it and it seems to have worked for you guys. The yeah. One of my favorite questions that I like to ask, like young guys, uh, mm-hmm. especially rookies in camp is perfect world. If you could dictate what you would do on this field and what you would do in this defense or this offense, what will you do? And sometimes I get like a BS answer, you know, oh, whatever the coaches want me to do. Like if the coaches want me to be the mm-hmm. long snapper, I'll be the long snapper. Okay, that guy's lying. I'm never asking him, uh, asking him another question yep. ever again, right? Yep. Andrew Van Ginkle is on that list of the few that gave me a completely honest answer. I asked him, okay, and this was when he was a rookie with Brian Flores. I asked him, perfect world, you get to dictate what you do on this defense. What is it that you want to do? And he says, I want to rush the passer and I want to rush wide 30, 30 snaps again. That's it. There you go. And I'm like that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I've seen you play. That makes that's, check, that that's out. what you do. That's what you did at Wisconsin, yep. and you got drafted in the sixth round. Hopefully, you could do that for us here. Now I'm probably splitting hairs, but before we let you go, because it can't be all sunshine and rainbows, because otherwise, you know, Pat Cleary up in Canada is going to have a, a fucking aneurysm. I have to ask the question: What the hell is going on with Jason Sanders? <laughs> The same thing that's been going on for now going on almost three years. He can't hit from 50 yards. And Mike McDaniel was asked about this. Like, why didn't you go for it on fourth and three? And the last thing I expected on fourth and three at the end of that game, I wanted either a punt or just first of all, I wanted them to go for it. Put Mm -hmm. the ball in the hand of your quarterback and go for it on fourth and three. Try out your best players, your best play, and go get this first down, and that ends the game right there. The Bills did it against the Raiders at one point where they had the opportunity to kick the field goal, and they were like, no, it's fourth down. We're right here near the goal line. Let's go get this thing. And it ended up, again, that's the type of mentality you want to have, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But then you think, okay, you know, if you don't want to go for it, and he was saying, oh, the center exchange, they had just bobbled a snap the play before, and I didn't like the – our play set for fourth and three. So I decided to kick the field goal. If you would have punted, that would have been fine too. But they try the field goal. He hits it about 80 yards, but it has this weird slice or hook. He has this weird hook on his kick and he misses it. And this is just a reoccurring thing. It just happens over and over and over again. And oddly enough, uh, you know, and I guess it's not a good thing for, for Bill's fans. The only place where Jason Sanders has hit 50-yard field goals the last three years? Buffalo. <laughs> Buffalo, of course. Why? Like, you would think, okay, upstate New York, like, you know, that's not a place where you can hit a 50-yarder. Well, he's done it the last two years You know for why? whatever reason. You know why? Because but, Jason Sanders hates us as much as we hate him. <laughs> that's what. Yeah, needless to say, Dolphin fans are, are done with Jason Sanders and – I've been done. Like, I wanted a competition uh, for this year, and 
He should never try another 50-yarder ever again. We should be a punting team, or we should be going for it whenever we reach no man's land. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, that was the end of Stephen Hauschka's career here in Buffalo. Was the second that they've and Dan, and Dan Carpenter before him. The second they realized that they could no longer hit from 50, they said, "Okay, let's find it. Let's n- move on." And then when that guy couldn't hit from 50, they said, "Okay, move on." And then they found themselves a young guy who can bang it from 60 and said, "Okay, we've got some road on this one." Because we don't want to keep shuffling kickers every two years. But once you can't hit from 50, you've you kind of neutered your team. And in some cases, when you try it and miss, you've now hurt your team because you're giving them the ball with really advantageous field position. But again, out of this game, ultimately, I think we can firmly say Mike McDaniels has now become the second head coach in the last few years who has proven that with a decent quarterback and some skill talent, Bill Belichick can, in fact, be outcoached. And like that's amazing. It's good to see. It's good to see that we as a division are just slowly pushing that old man out the door like Michael Scott in the office. It's like, all right, all right keep talking. Keep talking, Bill, but you're going to be outside the conference room. <laughs> yeah, he's 79 and, and 89 without Tom Brady. That's a thing. Okay? Yeah. And I try to explain to people, you know, every time – this comes up. Oh, he's just hanging around to take Shula's record, and he deserves it because this. Now, okay, Don <laughs> Shula broke his his uh his all time wins record with his fourth string quarterback. Oddly enough, it was Doug Peterson, <laughs> who is now the head coach of the Jaguars. But he was down to his fourth string quarterback in that game against Philly, and I believe they won like seventeen fourteen or something like that. And that's how he broke the the all time wins record. He's been to Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't yeah. need to ride somebody else's coattails. So with that, Elf. I mean, it almost feels like our team should be playing this week, but they're not. Apparently, we have to go through some formality of playing other. T- I don't know. It doesn't matter. We're a week away from Bills Dolphins week. Like I just can't wait to come back and do a preview show with you. But between now and then, if our listeners want to follow up and the Dolphins fans who tune into the show, where can they find all of your content? Uh, you can find our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts, and it's the number three yards per carry. Uh, if you want to come on to OnlyFans and troll us, and we ban you, and then you can troll us again and keep handing us $3 <laughs> over and over and over again, you go to Discord, and it's Discord OnlyFans. So you can't, you can't miss it. But, yeah, if you want to get any of our content, it's the number three yards per carry. We're everywhere. Alf Artiaga, Scott Mason, Christian Simonelli, the three count the AFC East and their coverage. We just, just the three count. Three count. It was uh, got Shannon Moore, Shane Helms, and Evan Courageous. Okay, but which one? Okay, first of all, and they were a boy band. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was about to say they look like a boy band. One of those guys has dreadlocks, and, one and of then them is... and then their biggest fan was Tank Abbott, a UFC fighter. Okay. So that was a fun story. Here's a question. As you put a cuz you're going to have to include a photo of these jerk offs in this thing, which one of the three, Scott Mason, Christian Simonelli, Alf Artiaga, which one of them has the dreadlocks? Alf. Okay. Which one of them has to rock the soul patch? Christian. <laughs> cuz that's embarrassing. Christian. <laughs> Why Christian? Cuz he's Italian and they like soul patches. I don't know if that's a scientific fact. Guys, tweet us, at Rock Report. 
I don't think that that's a fact. I, I don't. In fact, I don't think that, that has anything to do with uh, national, you know, national or orientation or where you're from. What I do know is these guys look absolutely ridiculous. I don't know who the worst. I, Chris, it might be one of the worst things I've seen in a long time. I wouldn't be. I would not be scared to fight any of these guys. No. I wouldn't. There's professional wrestlers. Jesus Christ. That guy has a green lantern lantern tattoo, and he's wearing an Adidas hat with like a 1990s ball chain necklace on, and they're a boy band. Yeah. Jesus Christ! You insult our guests like this. Gimmicks. Yeah, guys. There's no love lost here for our guests in the AFC's Roundup podcast. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your AFC's Roundup. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.